Before we turn back to uh, God's words together, let's uh, turn to God in prayer and ask for his help. Lord, as we come to you, we admit that uh, many of us feel spiritually as though we are running on empty a lot of the time. And we come in uh, to church, and even as we mentioned with the kids, that we can feel low and disheartened, discouraged. And so, Lord God, we plead with you that you would do a work we pray, Lord, knowing that, knowing in our heads that as we come to the preaching of your word, it is your words we hear when your word is proclaimed. But we do ask, Lord God, that we would know that in our hearts, that it would be our experience, that we would hear from the Holy Spirit this morning that you would encourage those in the congregation who long to be encouraged, who need to be encouraged. And we pray for challenge too. We pray that you would comfort those who are bereaved and who are upset. And we pray that you would save those who are in condemnation. Lord God, we pray, please, give us ears to hear minds to understand, and eyes to see Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, um, a number of years ago, so we're going back quite a long time, a couple of friends of mine decided to go on a trip. Okay, I think one of them had come into some money, maybe some inheritance, and rather than spend it on something sensible, Uh, he decided that what he needed was an adventure. Uh, So he concocted a plan. So you ready for the plan? He and this other bloke were going to buy a very, very cheap car. So they limited themselves to 500 pounds. They were going to buy an old banger of a car. And the adventure, the plan, was to drive this car all the way from the north of Scotland. And they were going to try and get to Petra in Jordan in this car. You heard this correct. Buy a terribly old car, 500 pounds drive from Scotland and try and see if they can get to Jordan in this car. That already sounds a bit ridiculous, Uh, doesn't it? I'm not finished. It gets worse. Because in advance of setting off, what these guys did was they came up with a couple of rules. They were going to sort of guide them, sort of features that would guide how they were going to travel, features about how, what was going to characterize the type of journey. So they had a couple of rules. For example, they were never allowed to take the easy way out. So if that, that car broke down, that 500-pound car, they weren't allowed to use some of their inheritance to buy another 500-pound. No, they had to try and fix the car. You weren't allowed to take the easy way out. That was one rule. Another rule was that you always had to pursue fun. Okay, so if you heard on this journey about something worth seeing, something worth doing, even if it was a couple of hours away, you had, to, you had to take the detour. Do you see the idea? So it's not just a very, very difficult journey, but it's a journey with certain features and certain characteristics. Well, 
This morning, you and I come to a very, very big moment in Scripture, a big moment for the people of Israel. It's the moment that they break camp and they set out a long, long last for the Jordan River. And this morning, yes, as we consider this, we're going to see something of ourselves, aren't we? We're going to see something of the journey that we are on as the people of God. But more especially, I think, we're going to see this morning something of the features that should mark the way that we travel. I wonder if you'll hear that again. We're going to see this morning from Scripture some of the things that should characterize, should mark our lives as Christians as you and I journey forth, ever forward towards the promised land. Features, characteristics that should mark our journey, our Christian life. Now, I've said this in every service. I'm going to keep saying it in every service. But can I encourage you to have the Bible open in front of you uh, to make sure that the younger people in here can see Scripture as well? Because we're going to try, of course, to stick as close as we can to God's Word. We'll be dipping into Scripture, pointing, looking at various aspects of Scripture. So please have Joshua chapter 1 from verse 10 open in front of you. And let's notice firstly, or think firstly, that our Christian journey should be marked by obedience. So you and I, as we journey forth to God's promised land, it should be marked, this journey, by obedience. Obedience. Okay, now, if you follow the news closely, and especially if you're kind of technologically minded, you'll you'll maybe remember the expectation that surrounded uh, Tim Cook. Do you know that name? Apple's. CEO, maybe you remember the expectation that surrounded his very first public event. So think back, it was a few years, what had happened? So Steve Jobs had just passed away, hadn't he? Steve Jobs had died, and there'd been all of this hype about his successor, Tim Cook, and what happened? All the world's media, they gathered together. You know how it is at one of these Apple events, don't you? They all gather together in this kind of darkened auditorium in California, I'm sure, and there's all of the world's media there, and they're all holding their breath, and they're all waiting to see, what is this new CEO, Tim Cook, What's going to be his first act, his first thing that he's going to do? Maybe you can recall that a few years ago. Well, in a sense, do you see the parallel? Like in a sense, isn't that what's happening here in Joshua chapter 1? Think about it for a moment. Moses, so Israel's successful leader, Moses has just died, hasn't he? And there has been a scripture leading up to this. There's been a lot of hype about Moses' successor. So Joshua has been identified. Joshua, do you remember the previous chapter a couple of weeks ago, the previous section? Do you remember? So Joshua has been charged by God. There's all of this hype. And do you see where we are right now? I wonder if you can picture it. There's masses of people here in front of him. Hundreds of thousands, all Israel is, is gathered. And as Joshua assumes leadership, everyone's holding their breath. They're all wondering, what is he going to do? As he assumes leadership, what is Joshua's first action going to be? Well, let's look to see what it is. Okay, so have a look at verse 10. What's the first thing that he does? 
Do you notice in verse 10, his first act is to issue a command to the, what does it say? The officers of, his, of the people. Who are they? Don't think, please, although there's combat and conflict ahead, don't think of that as um, military officers. It's, it's not. These are people we've met before in Scripture. They, mo- they have more of an administrative rule or role. But what, what are they asked to do here? Do you notice in verse 10? So these officers are to go and instruct the people, come on, get ready. Get break camp, get your provisions, get your food, get your stuff ready, because in three days we're going for it. Three days we're going to cross the Jordan. Now, let me just pause there and ask you, what do you think of Joshua's first act? Maybe you think it's a bit anticlimactic to you. I mean, Tim Cook, if we can cast our mind back, his first act was to release the iPhone 4, you know, worldwide fanfare and acclaim, you know, the razzmatazz of this Apple moment, you know. Here, what does Joshua do? His first act is to say, well, can you go and tell people to get their food ready? Can you go and get, because, you know, can you go and get, tell people to get ready? What do we think? Do we think it's, do we think it's mundane? I mean, do we think it's anticlimactic? Honestly, anything but, friends, Scripture is doing something incredibly important here. I want you to heed it. What the Bible is doing for you here is underlining how meticulous Joshua is in his obedience to God's Word. Did everyone heed it? Underlining how meticulous, how exact Joshua is in obeying God. Now, everyone do this with me, please. Have a look at verse 2. So let's go back a bit to verse 2. Joshua 1, verse 2. Can you see it? Everyone get there? So at this point, it's not Joshua issuing issuing a command. At this point, God is speaking. And God is commanding Joshua. Now, I'm going to point out a couple of things to you. First thing, I want you to see the verb crossing. Can everyone find it? To cross. So God makes the issues this command, and it's got this verb, unusual verb for cross. Everyone got it? We see that. Look on a little bit. Look how God describes the land. Do, do you see it? The land that the Lord God is about to give. That's another unusual thing, isn't it? The land God is about to give. So you got that's verse 2. Now, next thing to do, look with me back to verse 11. Everyone get to verse 11. Now, this time, this is not God issuing a command. This time, Joshua is issuing the command. Now, look at this. Do you see that phrase in the NIV? It says, go through the camp. Do you see that phrase? Guess what? That's Joshua using the very same unusual verb that God used a moment ago. So that's actually to cross. Go through, cross the camp, the same verb. Now read on. How does Joshua describe the land? Do you see it? He describes it in the very same way that God described it, the land that the Lord your God has given. Do you see the point? I mean, what we're supposed to see when we listen to Joshua here is how precise that Joshua is being in obeying God's command. Did you see the idea? So it's not that Joshua hears from God, hears these exact commands, and then Joshua kind of almost adheres to it or adheres to it in a, a rough, vague way. Not at all. You're supposed to be amazed by this, that what Joshua has done is follow God's commands, and he's determined to do it, to do it to the letter, 
Joshua follows in obedience to the T. Now, let's not leave the implications of this or the application of this to some far off point. Let's deal with it now. You see the question we've got to ask. I mean, is there a message there for your life? What is God saying to us here for, for my life, for your life? I'm pretty sure that everyone in the room can see that there is a, a general, general lesson for every one of us, isn't there? One writer says this, that in these verses, Joshua stands as a model, and a model for Christian obedience. You see it? Do you, you not agree with that? As you and I, as we travel through our lives as we journey forth, what are we to do? As people who have, we're recipients of God's grace. God has been so gracious and beautiful to us. How should we respond? What should we do but pursue obedience? Not just rough obedience, but precise obedience to his word. There's a general lesson. But I wonder if you would agree that there's also a specific lesson as well. If I was to speak or say I was going to speak to to the people who are involved in teaching of God's Word just now. What would you think if I was to say that? You might think that sounds really narrow. I'm the teaching elder, so basically it sounds like I'm speaking to myself and nobody else, right? To speak to all those who are teaching God's Word. But actually, if you open that up a little bit, come on, isn't that a wide group? What about all you mums and dads? Are you not seeking to teach your children God's words? And the grandparents too, right? And then what about the Sunday school teachers who've gone out or still in here? Some of them, I'm sure. What about the fellowship group leaders? What about the elders? Actually, there's a lot of people involved in St. Peter's in teaching God's word. If you are within that framework in any way, shape or form, do you not see a message here for you? Don't you? Surely you do. You know what it's like, don't you? When we are faced with teaching of God's word, the temptation a lot of the time is just to get it done. <laughs> right? Isn't it? I mean, the pressure of energy and time when it comes to family worship or a devotional talk or a sermon or a Sunday school lesson. Right? The burden of time, the burden of energy. But are we not, in a sense, reminded not just of the importance of this, but the essence of the task? What are we doing? What are we to do when we're to teach God's word? We are to follow after Joshua. Aren't we given a picture here of what we're supposed to do? What does teaching of God's word involve? It involves first listening to God trying desperately to discern what God is saying in his commands, in his word. And then what is the job of teaching? Like Joshua, our job is to take God's word and pass it on to God's people, not vaguely, but to pass it on in exactness and to pass it on in precision. What we see here is a picture of obedience. Second thing though, as we journey through this life, there ought to be, amongst us as Christians, there ought to be commitment, commitment. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, and, I, and in a way in this, I really hope you're not. <laughs> but um, when it comes to reading Scripture, and especially uh, devotionally in the morning, if I come a, across a list of names, and particularly a list of tribes, I struggle with that. I find that very, very difficult. Um, 
my head's spinning. Maybe it's just because I'm a simple man. I don't know. And I hope you're not like that. But certainly that's what we come to here. If you look at verse 12, what do you see? Do you see that we've got a list of names? We've got some names. We've got Reubenites. We've got Gadites. We've got the half-tribe of Manasseh. And it could be, you know, depending how much sleep you had last night, it could be that you're coming in and your head begins to spin as you see just the list of names and different, uh, different, different tribes mentioned. For us to try and get to grips with this just now, what I want to do is something I did before. I want us to make three stops very, very briefly. So maybe the younger ones can remember in a sermon before I said that we'd go in a time machine. Do you remember that? I said that, didn't I? So maybe we can do that again. Go in a jump in a time machine and we can make three unscheduled stops. So I want you to follow me on this very briefly. First place we need to go, if we're going to understand that, is back to the situation of the first reading in Numbers chapter 32. Do you remember Chris came up and he read from the book in Numbers can we, did we follow it? I mean, can you just now picture the situation that was, what was happening there? So at that point, it's a little bit before here, at that point, the people of Israel were traveling through the wilderness. Okay, now we all know how many tribes there were, right? We know there's 12 tribes traveling through. But did you follow what happened? At one point, they're traveling through the wilderness and two and a half of those tribes they look ahead down the road, and what do they see? Maybe they're up on a hill, and they look down the valley, and they see a beautiful land. <laughs> it's not part of Canaan proper, okay? So they're looking down, and they see this land, and they think, wow, that looks a beautiful land. That is a, a land that we can make a really comfortable living in that place. So what do they do? They ask Moses if they could have it as part of their inheritance. Now, I wonder if you picked up on how Moses responded to that. Did you get it? Moses was furious with this request. Moses was raging here, not because he thought this would jeopardize the conquest, but he's, he was raging because he thought this would, this would discourage the other nine and a half tribes. Now, if we followed up to that point, I wonder if you saw how it was resolved. So these two and a half tribes, what are they? Reubenites, Gadites, half-tribe in Manasseh, they promised not to settle in this land immediately. So they promised that they would cross the Jordan. They promised that they would fight with the other nine and a half tribes. And only once Canaan is conquered, only once victory is secured, would they come back and settle in this beautiful, this comfortable land. Does everybody follow? Do we get it? What do we, what do we have to do? We have to jump back in a time machine. We have to go to a second stop. Because friends, I want us to go here now to Joshua chapter 1. Because I wonder, as you turn Scripture and you open a Joshua chapter 1, do you feel the tension in the air? Like, do, do you understand that, that there is this, this question hanging over everyone at this point? I mean, do, do, you, do you realize that? Do you not see it? I mean, think about the situation in Joshua chapter 1. What's happened? The person that those two and a half tribes made that commitment to has He's died. 
Moses, the one that made this commitment to, is gone. And where are these people standing? They're not standing in a hill overlooking the land. At this point, they are in that beautiful looking, comfortable looking land. Do you feel the question in the air? Everybody's murmuring to each other. They're saying, what are these two and a half tribes going to do? Are they just going to settle in this comfortable land? Are they going to join us in the conquest? And you see how Joshua deals with it. What a picture of leadership. Because Joshua takes the bull by the horns and he goes to these two and a half tribes and basically says, what is it going to be? What is it going to be? Quotes Moses from Deuteronomy. He says, you're going to have to pick up your weapons. Fight with us. And he says to these Transjordan tribes, what will it be? Will you pursue comfort? Or will you join us in conflict? Will you pursue comfort in your life? Or will you make good on that commitment that you have made to the people of God? So we've been to Numbers. We've been to Joshua. Third stop. I think you know where we're going. Third stop. We come into the room. We come to ourselves and to our lives. Because surely every one of us sees something of a parallel that's existing here. Isn't it true that we are at this moment in a time of transition? Aren't we? Yeah, of course, everyone is with COVID, right? Everything is in flux and everything's transitionary at this point, you might say. But especially us as a congregation, as St. Peter's, a transition, right? We've, we've looked at it before, haven't we? You know, a new ministry, a new chapter opens up for us. Ah, but a time when previous commitments, a time where areas of service all up in the air, a question mark over all of that. Well, I wonder if what Joshua is doing here with those Transjordan tribes, I wonder if God is doing that this morning in his word. I wonder if you and I here are being challenged about our commitment I mean, after all, if you think about it, isn't it true that it's very, very tempting in a period of transition for us just to use that to pursue personal comfort? Don't you agree? A transition, we use that to pursue a, an easy life. If you're anything like me, that's what happens. Certainly with COVID, uh, the restrictions, they all loosen up and we're getting back into life, but maybe we're not going to be as forthright as we previously were with the gospel. Or what about in the life of the church? New ministry, new chapter, transition. What's the temptation? It's the temptation not just to slink back into the shadows, temptation, right? Just to, to withdraw a little bit from congregational life. Well, here, what is Joshua doing? He's going to those people and he's calling them to arms. And I do wonder this morning if God is doing that with us. And if so, how are you going to respond? How do we respond? Will we not ourselves pick up our spiritual weapons Will we not join our brothers and sisters in the fight? Will we not yet in the life of the church fight through Christian service in a wholehearted, devoted way, but with our unbelieving friends? Come on, our unbelieving neighbors, the people who are dying in condemnation just now. Will we not stand up as Christians? Will we not stand out as Christians? Will we not go to the front line? 
Because do you know what we learn in the book of Joshua? You see, these two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh, everyone's looking at them. Everyone's asking, what are they going to do? Do you know what we learn? They do make good on their commitment. They do join the fight. What about us? What about you? Will it be comfort or will it be conflict? Will it be comfort or will you and I fight that good fight? The third thing we see, though, we've seen obedience that should mark our lives, commitment that should mark our lives. Thirdly, we see our, our journey should be marked by unity. You're with me when I say that it's a really disconcerting thing when you hear a voice, but you don't know who's speaking to you. You hear a voice, but you do not know who's, who's speaking uh, to you. So if you go down the road, in Perth Road, uh, to where we're staying at the moment... Uh, there's me, let's say, down the stairs, and I'll hear a voice uh, up the stairs, a voice from on high. It'll be a girl's voice, shout down, and it'll be, I don't know, Dad, where's my slippers? I'll hear this voice from on the stairs, you know, Dad, Dad, where's my school bag? And I don't know whether it's because I'm getting old or whether it's because my daughters are getting old, but I'll hear this girl's voice, and I don't know who it is. I know, is that Juliet up the stairs shouting her dad? Is that Ellie Rose shouting? And it can be a little bit disconcerting. There's, a, there's something like that can happen here with Scripture, because look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Now, do, do you see what you have at the beginning? Then they answered Joshua. <laughs> they, and in a sense, that, that could leave us a little bit disconcerted, scratching our heads and asking, but who is it that's speaking there? They answered Joshua. Let me tell you what uh, I think. We have had Joshua, through the officers, speak to the majority of Israel, hasn't he? Nine and a half tribes. Joshua spoke to all Israel. Then what has happened in this text? Joshua has then, there's been a parenthesis, and Joshua has then spoken to two and a half of the tribes. Now, what I think most likely grammatically, it looks as though all of those tribes now come together. The they, not just the two and a half tribes, but before us here, you have the whole mass of Israel. You have, now think about it, hundreds of thousands of people, potentially millions of people gathered together before Joshua, and they're gathered as one man. There is this beautiful picture of all the people as one before Joshua. Now, a couple of things with that. One, yes, we've got to appreciate that this is a theme that's going to develop through this book. So over the next few Sundays, you and I are going to see that it wasn't just some of the people of Israel that had to participate in the conquest. So you and I are going to see that all of Israel had to be involved in, in crossing the Jordan, right? So that's fine. One, it's, it's a theme that will develop. Two, I want you to feel the weight of that on your shoulders. Because what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ wants for this congregation? What does Jesus Christ desire for St. Peter's? He desires that picture, that you and I be one, that we be standing shoulder to shoulder. What does he 
pray in John 17 to the Father that they would be one as as you and I are one. So yes, it's a theme, and yes, we want to feel it on our shoulders, but supremely, I do want to ask you this question. How do you think this sort of unity and togetherness can be achieved at St. Peter's? How do you think this sort of oneness, all of these people standing together shoulder to shoulder, how can that be attained? I wonder how you would answer that. Negatively, you might say, oh, we should never speak ill of each other behind our backs. We should never allow the root of bitterness to to grow up. You might say that. That's going to help unity if we don't do that. Or positively, you might say we should pray for each other, right? Or we should try and serve one another. That will enhance unity. Would you agree with those things? Is that where you would go? I think actually you and I are giving the critical answer to unity right here in this text. If you would look back at verse 16, because is it not true that these people are not just united, but they are united in their devotion to the one they follow? Now, do you notice, if you look closely at the language, do you notice the threefold expression of loyalty here? Do you see it? In verse 16, they say to Joshua, whatever. And then they go on and they say, wherever. And then in verse 18, they say, and to to whomever. Do you see? This is a people who are not just standing shoulder to shoulder. But this is a people standing shoulder to shoulder with their eyes firmly fixed on the one who leads them, the one they follow, the one who's just about to lead them into pastors new. Isn't that wonderful for us? I mean, isn't that a lesson for us as a congregation? Friends, if we want true unity, if we want proper unity, then it will only come if each one of us is with our eyes firmly fixed on the one we follow, the Lord Jesus Christ, looking to him in faith, but looking to Jesus Christ today in devotion. So I ask you, does that sound like you just now, Christian friend, at this point in your journey? I wonder if you could give the threefold expression of loyalty to your Savior just now. Could you say to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Are you able to say to Jesus just now, wherever you want me to go, I will go for you. Are you able to say, whomever you want me to speak to about the mystery of the gospel, I will speak to them. If we're looking to Jesus in devotion, friends, it's all the more likely that we will stand shoulder to shoulder in unity at St. Peter's. And then I end just with the last thing. We've seen that there should be obedience as we journey. There should be commitment. There should be unity. But a last word about rest. Um, I think it's true, isn't it, that very often it's the thought of the destination that gets us through really tough journeys sometimes, isn't it? The thought of a destination gets us through a tough journey. So last Friday, not just a couple of days ago, but the week before, so myself and my family were sitting just outside Perth in a traffic jam, and we were sitting there for 150 years, something like. Uh, We were there for a very, very long time in a traffic jam outside Perth. You've been there, right? So you know it was a a million tourists, um, but a million and one sets of roadworks, okay? So you, you know the difficult journey. Now, the kids were great. No problem at all. Why not? Why were they not a problem? Because they knew that very soon 
they would be with granny and granddad, right? What got them through the journey? Very soon they realized, we'll be with the cousins, causing chaos and trouble. You see it? So very often it's the thought of the destination that gets us through a really tough journey. Now, come on, is that not true here? Because I wonder if you noticed how it is the land is described here for the very first time. So if you look at verse 13, or especially if you look at the beginning of verse 15, you'll see it's described for the first time in an unusual way. Look at the beginning of verse 15. So this land is called a place of, what is it? A place of rest. Can you imagine how welcome that was for these people? think about who they are. These are the people who've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're promised that they'll soon be able to settle down and rest, right? Or these are the people who've been in constant conflict and battles and warfare, and they're promised, wait a second, there'll be peace. It must have been amazing to have this destination before them. And you and I could linger on that. We could think about it for them. Really, I'm going to close me bringing this to you, especially if you're a Christian who at this point feels that your journey with the Lord is stalling. Your journey with the, with the Lord, is there's a lull in it. You're not making the progress that you long to make as a Christian. We've mentioned before that this land, what have we said? Do you remember? We said that is a picture of what, it, what is ours in Christ just now. Well, what's the emphasis with the land? It is also a picture of what is to come to us as the people of God, of what lies ahead of us. It's a picture of our destination. And I long for you to consider that for a moment if you're struggling spiritually today. I mean, just think about the span of biblical history for a second with me. What has your God done? Think about it. Having created the world in six days, God enters this wonderful divine rest doesn't he? Then what does he do as you move forward in scripture? He enshrines something of this rest in the Ten Commandments on the Sabbath day, a little picture, a little foretaste of that divine rest in the new heavens and the new earth. And then you move on in scripture. What do you see here? He gives you in the historical books this lovely illustration of this rest in Canaan. You move forward, the prophets, he, he prophesies this rest is to come for the people of God. Then he comes to Jesus and he shows you the way into the rest. And it all, all moves forward to this point in St. Peter's in the New Testament age. And what does God do for you this morning if you're struggling spiritually? He reminds you in the preaching of his word that it is that glorious land of rest that is your coming destination. It is this glorious divine rest that stands on your horizon. It stands ahead of you. Isn't it marvelous? Very soon you and I will rest. We will settle down in a place absent of all conflict and all pain, of all injury, of all illness. Very soon you and I will be in a place flowing with, a land flowing with milk and honey. Most beautifully, we will be at rest in a place where God dwells. A city that's no need for sun or moon. A city where the glory of God will be its light. Isn't it lovely? Isn't it motivating to know ahead of us in this journey, you and I will enter the Sabbath rest of God. But I do wonder if there are some in here 
who do not have that journey mapped out, some who are not Christians this morning, some may be joining the live stream or in this room, but people who are desperate for rest, people desperate for peace and weighed down by the burdens of this life. If so, I want you to hear this, if nothing else. It is only Jesus Christ that can provide this glorious destination for you. Jesus Christ, He alone is the one who has secured God's rest by His life, death, and resurrection. It is Jesus you need to turn to with the rest of us. You need to follow Christ because it is only Jesus Christ who in the gospel can say to you this morning, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus Christ can make that promise. Will you not come to him today? Friends, let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, our loving Father, we pray to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us a picture of obedience in Joshua. We thank you that you give us a picture of commitment in these two and a half tribes. Lord God, we thank you that you give us a picture of unity in all of the people of Israel devoted to the one they follow. Lord God, we pray that you would forgive us for our lukewarm hearts. Forgive us for our reticence to come to you and bend a knee in worship and repentance and praise. But we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we owe everything to him, the Son of Man, the one who is ultimately our rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.